was all ready to preach on John the Baptist. John the Baptist being not like a reed swaying in the breezes, but John being like a rock. And like St. Paul, who was also like a rock, and like Jesus himself, who was not swayed by the voices of public opinion, but who knew his mission and who carried it out. And then there was a big tornado on Friday, and I started to think, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of questions about that. I think we should hear something from God's word about suffering. And I started to wonder, maybe we should change the readings. Maybe we need to go off script. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought actually John is kind of perfect for us. I thought John is perfect for us a couple days out from this major tornado that affected maybe not all of us, but affected many of us and many of the people who we know and who we love. A tornado that will probably be remembered. The news, the weatherman said it was once in a generation. And I know, you know, weathermen say those kinds of things all the time, but he was right, you know. Big, huge tornado. Questions about suffering come up, and I think, I think that you'll find that John is a perfect example for us, for we sit very much like John. You know, John the Baptist, who Jesus described as the greatest among those born of women. No one born among women is greater than John. And so we would expect, right, that if somebody like that asks Jesus a question, somebody great asks him a question, Jesus has to answer. He owes John, right? After all, Jesus got his start under John's hand. It was there in the Jordan River that Jesus was baptized and his public ministry began. And Jesus inherited a lot of his disciples from John the Baptist. It was John the Baptist who suffered all kinds of things. Remember what he was eating out in the wilderness? Bugs, wild honey, not exactly the um, diet that any one of us wants to sign up for. And John went to great lengths. He suffered much for the kingdom of Christ. He wore camel's skin. He did crazy things. He was a wild man. So if he has a question for Jesus, Jesus is going to have to pay attention. If anyone, if anyone can get Jesus to do what he wants, surely it's John. After all, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Jesus owes him, right? Jesus has to answer his question. And not just does he have to answer John's question, but surely he has to do the stuff that John wants him to do. Or maybe not, though. John comes to Jesus with a question this morning, and it's a question in a different way that most of us are wrestling with today, too. Here, here again, John's question. This is what he said. John, who heard in prison, he's in prison, suffering, about the deeds of Christ, asked this. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Seems that John was kind of disappointed in what he saw in Jesus. Seems that John was maybe disappointed about his own circumstances, that life wasn't panning out the way that he thought he was, that the way that he thought it would. He had made all those great sacrifices for Christ after all, right? He had given his whole life to this mission in the wilderness, and what did he have to show for it? Imprisonment, more suffering. What happened, Jesus? We thought you were the Messiah. 
What happened, Jesus? We thought when you came, the kingdom of God was coming and everything was going to be put to rights. You know, all the bad people would be put down and all the poor people would be lifted up like John the Baptist. But here he sits in prison wondering if he should have hoped in someone else. This is a question that comes out of suffering, isn't it? Is this really what it is all about? Did we put our hope in the right one? Is this really, you know, this world that we live in, is the kingdom of God really advancing in this world? Or maybe, you know, maybe we got it all terribly, tragically wrong because there's a lot of suffering right now. Where's Jesus in the midst of all that? What happened to his kingdom? Why did this stuff happen? Why was it allowed? Why did these tornadoes rip through neighborhoods and rip down houses? What happened? Did it all get out of control? Should we have put our hope in someone else? Can you hear John asking that? Now, I kind of doubt that John is just asking that because he's a little uncomfortable in prison. I mean, we know about John, right? He was the kind of guy who could live off of locusts and wild honey. So I doubt that John is just upset that he's having a bad day. It's not just, oh, my bones are aching. This is a deeper kind of question. This is a deeper kind of disappointment. This is a deeper kind of question. Is this world, is this mission that you're on, Jesus, is it really the answer that we've all been waiting for? Or did you fail? Are you not actually following through with what you should be doing? Sufferings that we experience and living in a world that is full of suffering puts that question in our mind, doesn't it? Especially when we go through something big like a tornado or multiple multiple tornadoes, however many there were, ripping through our communities. It makes us wonder where God's hand is at work in all of this. Why does he allow these things to happen? Why does he rule his world in this way? Is he really in charge or or should we have hoped for someone else, something else? Maybe we shouldn't have even hoped for anything at all, right? This is kind of the pessimist way of looking at life. If you never want to be disappointed, just don't get your hopes up and then nobody will let you down. Some people kind of fall in for that, don't they? Another kind of similar one goes like this. Well, it could always be worse. Eeyore, right? I call it the, the, mess, the message of Eeyore comfort. It could always be worse. Remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? He was never all that high. He was always down low. It could always be worse. And there's something true about that. It's sometimes good to remember you do not have the market cornered when it comes to suffering. Okay? It's, that's, that's a good message. But... That doesn't actually bring comfort to anyone. When the diagnosis comes and you have a terrible disease, it's true, you could say, well, it could be worse. (laughs) It could be, but that doesn't actually fix the problem. So many people just say, don't hope for anything. You won't be disappointed. Don't get your dreams up too high. Don't put the kingdom of Christ too high, and then you'll never have to be all that disappointed. After all, it's all just kind of meaningless. We're all just going through this world and you can kind of make up your own meaning as you go along. This is the message that many fall for in our days. Just make the most out of your life. Get a few things done and that's as good as you can expect. Don't hope too much. You won't be disappointed too much. I think that's the kind of question that John has and that's the kind of questions that we have today too. Should we really have put all of our hope in Christ? 
Or are we expecting too much from him? Look how Jesus answers John. Look how Jesus answers you this morning. When these questions get stirred up in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, where is the Lord Jesus in the midst of all this suffering? Whether it's John asking about his own personal suffering, whether it's you asking about your own personal aches and pains, or if it's the deeper kind of question, like where is the Lord in the middle of a tornado? Where is his good and gracious kingdom in the midst of our fallen world? Look how Jesus answers. First of all, notice he doesn't explain away John's suffering. He doesn't say, well, John, you're just not thinking about it right. Um, You know, it's not that bad, after all. You've got a roof over your head, and, you know, remember, you used to be eating locusts. Now at least you're getting bread. It might be moldy, but it's bread and water. You're getting uh, three square meals a day, John. Just change the way you're thinking about things. Just be a little more positive, John. He doesn't explain John's suffering away, does he? He doesn't make little of John's suffering. He doesn't tell him, well, John, just buck up, buddy. You know, we've all got to suffer a little bit, so just pull yourself through. No, Jesus doesn't explain away sufferings, and he also doesn't give a theory as to why God allows sufferings. People like to debate this thing, and there's a time and a place for Christians to talk about what is at work in the world and why God allows evil things to happen. But Jesus doesn't get into the weeds with John, does he? He simply points John and John's disciples and you today to himself. Go and tell John the things you hear and see in me, Jesus says. Go and tell John the things you hear and see in Christ. Go and tell John that the mission of Christ is not altered that the mission of Christ has not stumbled, that the mission of Christ has not taken a detour, that the mission of Christ has not been blown away by the wind. Go and tell John what you hear and see me doing. And what is it that Jesus was up to? He was making all things new, right? He was restoring sight to the blind. He was giving hearing to the deaf. He was giving the ability to walk back to the paralyzed. He was even giving life back to the dead. And he says, last of all, the pinnacle of it all is that the poor have good news preached to them. Where is the mission of Christ in the midst of a torn apart world? It is here that the good news is still proclaimed. That the good news of the gospel, that God sent his son into our fallen world, that God gave his only begotten son for sinners, that the son of man came to seek and to save the lost, that he died for our sins and has been raised for our justification. And no tornado can alter that. No change in John's own mental well-being could change what Jesus was up to. No vote in public opinion polls could alter what our Lord had come to do. He didn't test the winds every day and say, well, what do they want me to do today? What do they want me to do tomorrow? Let me change my mission. Let me change my path. No, he knew his mission, and he was going to see it through to the end. And the mission of Christ was this, to take care of our deepest needs, to bring the forgiveness of sins, to bring reconciliation with God, to bring an eternal good news to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Jesus says, look at me, John. Keep your eyes focused on me. Keep your ears tuned to me. Don't be distracted by all of the apparent failures in the world around you. Don't be dismayed 
by all of the things that you see. And surely, surely there were things that John saw that dismayed him, even as there are things that we see. You saw the pictures, didn't you? You saw the aerial footage of Mayfield and of Princeton. It's terrible to look at, isn't it? It's terrible to see. But Jesus says, keep your focus on me. Now, that doesn't explain it all away. Jesus is not making little of John's suffering, and I'm not trying to make little of the sufferings that our community is going through and will go through. But the kingdom of Christ is still at work. And that's what Jesus draws our attention to. And then he says, blessed are those who are not scandalized by me. He kind of acknowledges with that, doesn't he? That he's not living up to expectations. He says, look, John, you thought I was coming and bringing my kingdom full blast right behind me. Don't be scandalized that I take my time, Jesus is saying. There's lots of scandals in our world, right? Leaders commit all kinds of terrible things, embezzlement, moral scandals. Jesus was not guilty of any of those things. What Jesus was guilty of is this, that he did things his own way and that he still does things his own way. Here is the scandal of Jesus, that we aren't in charge of him. And that's hard, isn't it? We'd love to be able to rub the magic genie lamp and get Jesus to come out and then say, Jesus, fix all my problems. Jesus, fix all these problems. Take care of it all right now, Jesus. But that's not the gospel. That's not the Christian faith. Jesus is not ours to command. And that's easy to say when everything is humming along. That's easy to say when everything is going just fine. It's a lot harder when you get humbled. It's a lot harder when you're watching TV and they're talking about things that are way beyond our control and you start calling around saying, what can we do, what can we do? And the answer is nothing. Just wait. Just wait. Maybe eventually there's something you can do, but there are things beyond our control. That's humbling, isn't it? And it's hard. But Christ says to each of us this morning, blessed are those who are not scandalized by me. That calls for humble faith. And that humble faith, the humility of faith, is not some kind of a put down. Right? Jesus is not treating us like little babies. He's not pushing us over in the corner and saying, you wouldn't get it anyways, so just keep quiet over there and mind your own business. Sometimes that's how people understand what happens in the book of Job. You know, when sufferings hit, that's a book that people often turn to. Job had a terrible, awful things happen in his life, and he wanted the Lord to answer, why is this happening? And his friends kept coming to him, and they said, Job, let me explain it all to you. I understand God's mind perfectly, so I'll explain it to you. And so one after one, his friends try to comfort him by explaining it all away. Job won't buy any of that. And so finally, at the end of the book, what happens? The Lord God himself comes, and he doesn't really answer Job's questions. And sometimes we read that or we hear it, and one of the ways to sort of make sense of it is to say, see, God is just pushing Job over in the corner and telling him, you wouldn't get it, just accept it and submit. But that's not what the Lord is doing with Job. That's not what Jesus is doing with John, and that's not what God's word does for us today. The Lord does not push us aside and say, just accept it, just get used to it. You wouldn't understand it anyways. When the Lord came to Job and spoke to him, he was certainly showing Job that he was greater than Job. But there he was, right? There was the Lord, the God Almighty, the God of heaven and earth, coming to little old Job 
And there's Jesus going to little old John the Baptist, who even though Jesus says he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, well, in the great scheme of things, if God hadn't chosen John, he could have sent someone else. This is a hard thing for us, right? We want to think that we're important, that we're special, and yet sometimes we have to remember just how small we are. And yet, though we are small, the Lord takes heed of us. He notices us. He cares about us. Blessed are those who are not scandalized by me, Jesus says, who has come to save the lost. The Lord still makes himself available to you. His kingdom is still at work in our world. The gospel is still proclaimed in your ears and in the ears of any who will hear. Where is Jesus in the midst of all of this? Well, look at what he has promised to do. Look at what he continues to do, to make his word heard in your ears this morning, to give his body and his blood to you this morning. Does that explain it all away? Certainly not. But he's present with us. He abides with us, with his grace and his mercy. And really, that's what we need. Job didn't need a theory that explained all things. He didn't need more words, words, words. He needed the Lord God there with him. And that's exactly what God gave him. Not an answer to all of his questions, but the Lord's presence. And that's what we have today as well. That's what we have every moment of our lives. The Lord with us. That humble faith... That humble faith like John the Baptist, like Job before, and that the Spirit is working in you today, that humble faith can rejoice, even in the midst of great sorrows, for the deeds of Christ still go on among us. And what's so great about that is it frees us, it frees us from having to have the theory that understands everything. Job couldn't make sense of his world until the Lord came to him, right? Job couldn't go on with his life until the Lord came and spoke with him. And if we get wrapped up in all of these questions, should we have looked for someone else, we run the same danger of being lost in words, words, words. The Lord comes to us today, speaks with us this morning, gives us his body and his blood to remind us that he is with us always and to free us, to free us from having to become masters of it all. What happens then is that you are freed up from answering those big questions to simply serving in this world, to looking at what your neighbors need, to looking at what your fellow members in the church need, and to be able to say, hey, I can help. There will be lots of opportunity for that. There already has been, and there certainly will be in the days that are ahead. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus. When these questions trouble you, as surely they do, remember how he spoke to John. Remember how he pointed John to himself and how John found freedom in that. And perhaps then, then we can even make sense of how it is that we can rejoice in our sufferings. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.